I'm Rav Farawi, co-host of Pokolts, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of Canada's top long-form stories. And this week, I'm joined by a special guest. Hi, I'm Annika Foreman, the guest producer of Pokolts. So Annika, you spoke to our guests this week. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about them? Yes, so I spoke with Adam Feibel. He is a long-form music feature writer, and he has been published in many outlets, including Bandcamp, Vice, the Toronto Star, and Post Media. Nice. Okay, so why did you want to talk to him? So I'm a Billy Talent fan, and he recently published a piece and exclaim about them called Billy Talent Are More Relevant Than Ever, where he interviewed the band and talked to them about their new album, Crisis of Faith, and their evolution over the years. I also asked him how he started writing music features and what some of his favorite music is. Okay, great. Uh, let's play the interview. Let's do it. Before we get into it, a quick note to our listeners. We had some audio issues recording this episode and had to re-record some questions. So if you notice that the audio sounds a little different, that's why. Thank you for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I wanted to say that your writing is good and I get drawn in and want to keep reading. To begin, what was your path to music feature writing? It's something that I've been doing really since I decided that I wanted to start writing, that I wanted to go into journalism. It's the part that I liked about writing the most. I've always been into music and the arts and I was always into writing. And as soon as I kind of put those two things together, I decided that that's something that I wanted to do. So when I went into journalism school, a lot of my writing was focused on that. A lot of it wasn't, but I think it was obvious to my teachers and everything that that was something that I was interested in. That was something that they helped cultivate. And I, you know, throughout my different jobs that I've had, I've been involved in the music side and the arts side of journalism to varying amounts, but I've always just freelanced and most, if not all of the freelance writing I've done for various publications has been music writing. And over the years, I've just gotten more and more practice of it, gotten more and more work of it. And, and now here where I am today, I'm not a major name or anything, but it's something where I do it regularly and I'm involved in music in my day job as well. And then on the side, I do music writing and I get to be on the cover of Exclaim once in a while and it's great. So you're actually both writing and making music. And that leads me to my next question, actually, which is, I know you play in a band and work at Jazz FM 91. Are you more interested in playing music versus writing about it? Both, really. I mean, I, I guess I've just never had all my eggs in one basket. I have been involved in music in however I can. I've been playing in bands since I was 12 or 13 years old. So that's 17, 18 years. I've been in various bands off and on. My quote unquote current band never really broke up or anything, but things had kind of slowed down and then the pandemic came. So we haven't really done anything for the last two or three years. So, but I'm always working on something, whether I'm currently playing on the stage with a group of people or whether I'm just at home, writing songs, making music, either just for fun or for some future project. And and then in the meantime, I decided that I wanted to pursue writing as a career. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to write about music or and other things. But if I can write about music full time and make that my career, then I'm going to do that. And it's not quite my career. I mean, what I do as the digital manager of Jazz FM 91 is, is very wide ranging in terms of, you know, just digital management of a radio station and all that that entails, you know, things like website management, social media, all sorts of stuff. And writing is a pretty big component of that as well. So everything I've done, I guess, since I graduated high school and had the world in front of me and had to decide what I wanted to do, most of what I've done has involved music in some capacity. You have 
play music, but then you're also like decide to make writing your career and, and focus on music. Yeah, that's been a little tricky at times. Not so much because I've never been in a, a big enough band to, you know, create great conflicts of interest or whatever. But, you know, there were times when I was writing for Exclaim around 2015 and I, my band was also going on tour with a couple bands that I probably would have wanted to write about for exclaim and i didn't do that because i was like that's obviously a conflict of interest there i don't want to be seen to be self-promoting or that i'm just writing about my buddies so i i would avoid that and i've avoided writing about people who are too close to me so there's a little bit of that and if i were more of a professional musician or a professional musician at all i would you know that would become more in an issue and i might have to choose one or the other haven't had to do that yet although i guess if one really took off, then that would be a good thing. And I would not do the other and be happy with it because I've been able to make one of those things my full-time focus and my full career. How do you choose what bands you're going to review? That's a good question. I mean, they're chosen by my editors ultimately because, you know, there's, a, there's all sorts of music that just comes up, stuff that comes into my inbox that people want to pitch to me. You know, I'm getting multiple emails a day with, you know, check out this new single, check out this new music video, check out this new album. And some of it's in my wheelhouse, some of it's not really. And, you know, so, and then some of it really piques my interest. And, you know, that stuff, I'm like, okay, I'd be interested in writing about this. Other things, you know, they're not pitched to me at all. Most of it is just music that I hear, whether it's through, you know, someone recommending it through social media or, you know, it's like the Apple music algorithm or whatever, or, you know, there's all sorts of places that you hear about music. And, you know, now that I also have a pretty wide network of like-minded people who are into the same type of music as I am, you hear more and more recommendations just easily and organically through the people that you know from those it's basically a matter of, okay, would the publication that I'm pitching to be into this to begin with? So sometimes there's some self-selection where, okay, I, I don't think they'd be into this. This is more of a me thing. I'll champion this through my Twitter or whatever, but I don't think that necessarily pay me to write about this. Some of them, it's like, okay, I think they would be into this. And I pitch it. And if they're into it, then there we go. What is the reason that you interview this band? Is it because you like their music? Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, either I like their music or I think they're interesting. Usually both, you know, it, it, thinking that the music is good and that is worth writing about and hearing more about and learning from the artist what went into it and what inspired it and the people who actually made the music you know obviously the music has to be good and has to be interesting everyone will say that's subjective but you know the longer you do this the more you kind of have i guess a bit of a sense of taste a critical ear in terms of what music you think will resonate with people sometimes there's something that i think i'll really like and i'm like i don't i think this is kind of just a me thing i don't know if everyone would necessarily be as into this as i would you know some things you're more likely to recommend to your friends than others and some people have a really interesting story that they're telling and that's a story that you'd like to help tell and those are the kinds of things where where i would say okay this let's write about this let's get that message out there let's amplify this right and also do you want to write about bands that have a social conscience i do not exclusively. It's not a prerequisite, but you know, I think that's something that's generally important. I think it's good to be a good person. If your music is about trying to either be a good person or to make the world around you better, then that's all the better. That resonates with me. As, and, and I mean, as someone who grew up with punk music, that, you know, that message is really a big part of what punk is about, of 
you know, just a genre that's steeped in, you know, sociopolitical messages and kind of naturally attuned to that. And when that comes up, whether it's in punk music or not, that sparks my interest. It's not, there's a lot of artists that have, you know, sociopolitical songs or messages in their music that it's, it's not the only thing, obviously that, you know, like, oh, they said a thing that I agree with. I like them now, but it's always a, a nice bonus, of course. Are there other things that you like to hear in the music that you review? I mean, I'm other than just the kind of musical genre things that, that hit those kind of soft spots in me that remind me of, you know, the formative <laughs> years when you came up with music, the type of music that you listen to. And I think it's can't quote any studies here, but I've read that, you know, there's scientifically, there's a physiological reason that the music that you listen to between the ages of something like 12 and 18, when your brain is really forming that like really sticks with you. And a lot of people that's just kind of calcifies their, their music taste. And they only listen to that or things that sound like that. For the rest of their life that's the way a lot of people are you know that's what they're familiar with that's what their brain has physiologically said this feels good when you hear this sound i guess it's biology you know there, there's things that i don't only listen to the punk and emo and rock music that sounds exactly like the stuff that i listened to when i was 15. In fact, kind of the opposite. That would be kind of boring if I just kept listening to the same band with different names 10, 20, 30 years later. But obviously there are, you know, when I hear a band that's that's kind of new and interesting, but also has that little, hits that soft spot that reminds me of, you know, the music that I love and that I have loved for most of my life. It really hits something. But beyond that, you know, you asked if there's anything else that, you know, really, really makes me interested in writing about. It's, I like being able to tell a story you know some music is is really good and all i can say about it sometimes is that it's really good and i can describe it and i can say why i think it's really good but it's even better i love when there's a story to tell as well not just something interesting but you know an actual story and i'm trying to come up with an example and of course examples never come into your head when you need them and they'll come into my head after but the cover story that I wrote, I think in 2016 about Pup, the Toronto punk band that I think many people are familiar with if you're if you're into punk or, or rock music. And if you're not, that's OK. I've mentioned them before. Sometimes you get into your your scenes and you're like, oh, yeah, everyone knows Pup because everyone, you know, knows Pup. And then you talk to someone who's not into the music that you're into at all. And you're like, oh, you know, Pup. And they're like, who? And it kind of reminds you that the world is actually a m much bigger than you are. So anyway, I wrote a cover story about Pup. The Toronto punk band and of that album was that it almost couldn't be made because um, Stefan the singer was told by his doctor that he couldn't sing anymore because he had ruined his voice of singing improperly and if you listen to the band you'd probably know what that means right away because his voice is very unique it's kind of shouty and shrill and he was just you know shouting at the top of his lungs for the other part of that story was that they had toured notoriously like 200 days out of the year 250 shows in a year so that you know every night just screaming at the top of his lungs and ruined his voice and that was you know so it was almost the end of the band and it wasn't and so that was you know I, I i talked to them and i got into detail with that story and what that meant and the kind of decisions they had to face and like do we give up the band now stop doing that do we replace them or do we just try to recover and come back and do this again even though it risks you know just losing your voice permanently and you know they have an album that's 
not entirely about that, but definitely shaped by that. And that was an interesting story to be able to tell. And it actually makes it easier to write a 2000 word feature when you have, when you have, you know, a narrative that's guiding you along. I've had to write long form pieces before that. I don't really know what the story is. It's just like, here, here's, here's an interesting person and it's more challenging. You're the one to say, I want to write this feature. It's sometimes exclaim that says you have to do it. Well, I mean, not, not that I have to, um, <laughs> like, would you like, but like, sorry, would, would you, you like, like to, to profile get... this artist? I'm like, yeah, I like them and they're, they're interesting. Right. And then, you know, obviously you do your research, you know, everything there is to know about this person, you interview them and it goes well, or it doesn't. And you, you have tons of content, but sometimes the story is just, it's just there. And sometimes it's harder to find, you know, sometimes you know what the story is, what the narrative is, and that makes it easy. Um, and then you write that story and you write it in your way. And I guess, you know, there's also sometimes drawbacks to it when it's really obvious what the story is, because you, you look at like Rolling Stone and Stereo Gum, wherever is writing about music and they're all writing the same story because that is this, the story of this artist at this time. And so you, there's not as much this differentiating you. So sometimes maybe you would decide, you know what, I'm not going to write that story. I'm going to do take some other angle. And sometimes your angle changes uh, even from, you know, you're doing your research and you think you have a, a certain angle or a certain story that you're going to tell. And then you do the interview and it goes in a different direction. That's much more interesting or that has much stronger content for you to use. And you go in that direction. How did you get access to Billy Talent? That was, that actually goes back a while because I had pitched, I had tweeted about Billy Talent. Sometimes if you're a music writer, just tweet about what you like. And if you're lucky, you'll get money from it. So that's some advice, I guess, because I tweeted about like, you know, recently Billy Talent was not, has not been like the coolest, hippest band. You know, they've been around for a while as, as bands become, as they get older, you know, you're, you're not the, the fresh, cool hit band anymore but people are still really into them and people have been fans of theirs for a long time and i tweeted you know i was actually just curious whether it was you know whether my personal taste was similar to the consensus or whether it was just me so i had tweeted something about you know just a poll on twitter like what is your favorite billy talent album and it turns out that i was kind of close to consensus you know a lot of people like their first two albums not a lot of people like their other albums as well, but people consider their favorites to be, you know, one and two. But it led to my editor, who was also a big Billy Talent fan, and I didn't know that, the features editor, Matt Bobkin, a friend of mine, he messaged me and said, hey, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Billy Talent on your on your Twitter. Uh, a lot of, there's, there's not a lot of people talking about Billy Talent these days, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who are still really into them and who have been into them. Would you be interested in writing a piece about them? And I said, sure. Um, and I gave an idea and I don't remember what the initial idea was. It may have been decent, but it wasn't quite there yet. And it only ended up taking shape about a year later when it was the 15th anniversary of um, Billy Talent 2, their second album, which was released in 2006. And it was kind of a like a critical reappraisal or like a mea culpa on behalf of all the, you know, doubters and haters from back in the day that, you know, there was a lot of, this was a band that as they got popular, they also had a lot of detractors and people saying that they were lame or whatever, whether it was in the punk circles or like they're not punk enough or in like indie rock circles being like, they're not hip or cool enough or whatever, obviously not saying exactly those words, but so it was a, it was a piece kind of just 
looking back 15 years later and just saying like, Hey, this was really good. And it didn't quite get a fair shake. It was obviously very popular, but you know, critically speaking, they didn't deserve the hate that they got. So that was the premise of that. And then, you know, a year later, their new album comes out and it's like, okay, let's, let's write a big feature about this new album and about how long they've been a band and about how they've changed over that time, or maybe not changed, but grown is what I should say. And so it grew from that. And it was like, and, and, you know, Matt asked me, do you want to write the, the feature, uh, the big feature on Billy Talent? We're thinking about, we're not sure yet, but we're thinking about putting it on the cover. You know, it's, uh, I said, yes, obviously I want to do that. Like how you initially got access was through a tweet? Yeah, I mean, how I initially ended up writing about Billy Talent was I tweeted about it. My editor saw it and was like, hey, let's work on a piece. My, um, obviously, access to the band, to interviewing them, got through, I got through, exclaimed, saying, write the, write the big feature. Um, we'll set you up with their publicist. We'll set you up with the band uh, as it normally works. But, you know, way, if you trace it way back, yeah, path to me writing the cover story about Billy Talent for Exclaim is me tweeting about Billy Talent two years ago. What about them made you want to write about them? Love of the band? They're one of my first favorite bands. I was 12 when album came out in 2003 and I loved it and I didn't really know what I was hearing, you know, because I, I hadn't been familiarized yet with loud, screamy, punk sounding music. And I just loved it. And those were my bands when I was a young person, uh, you know, Billy Talent, Alexis on Fire, Sum 41, these kind of, you know, loud, screamy punk bands that got really big in Canada on much music and stuff back in the early mid 2000s. So I was always really into them. And, you know, now it's been almost 20 years later and Billy Talent has, has put out six albums now and I've liked some of them more than others. My favorites are those first two, but you know, but I've traced their career throughout this whole time. And it was good to, to write about this album and look at that growth and how this one stacks up next to the, the others. What do you see as the through line for their music? Musically, they have got kind of more, a little more mainstream rock as they went along. It's really interesting in this album is that it's kind of all over the place where their last few albums were a lot more streamlined. I think as they got more popular and as they found their sound, they really got a hold on, okay, this is our sound and we're doing it. This new album was like, you know, as I wrote in my feature, some songs sound like Black Flag and some songs sound like Fleetwood Mac, which is really weird to say. And some songs kind of sound like Journey and other songs sound like Weezer. And, you know, it's this this mix of different types of rock through the decades. You know, you can kind of point at stuff and say kind of sounds 70s or 80s or 90s or 2000s. And, you know, they're doing all sorts of different stuff that they haven't done before. But it sounds like them because they've been doing this for 20 years and they've got such a unique, Ben has such a unique voice and... Ian is an incredible, an incredibly unique guitar player. There's no one like him. And they have together as a band, they have this sound that sounds like Billy Talon. So no matter what they do, they can write a song that kind of sounds like Fleetwood Mac, but it sounds, you would never mistake it for anything else other than Billy Talon. I thought that was really interesting. I think it speaks to the, you know, the creative freedom that comes from being an artist for as long as they have, that you can take risks or do different things. And you've been a good band long enough that you have, you can adventure out, but still be at home. 
And I thought that was really interesting. And then also the through line of their music was that starting in around 2005, 2006, they've just, they've had a growing social consciousness that has only gotten, it's only gotten stronger with time as opposed to being, you know, young, angry kids. And then you're just kind of toning it down as you get older and you have families and you're not angry as you were when you were a young kid. But, but no, I mean, they're not screaming about things as much as they used to, but they are more outspoken as the years go on. Did you find it easier interviewing them again? I didn't interview them for the first piece. Oh, you didn't? No, no. It was just, they actually brought it up, which was kind of neat. When I interviewed them for this piece, Ben said that he, the singer, Ben said that he had read it and liked it. And then, and then Ian chimed in and said, oh, that was you. I didn't realize that was you. And I was like, oh, awesome. They read my piece. I did, you know, you never know if, if the people you're writing about read your stuff, but that was, I thought that was really cool. Not only that they had read it, but they had brought it up and said, oh, you brought up an interesting point. I'm like, yes, yes. They, they liked it. They think. I'm smart. <laughs> How did you interview them? Was it over Zoom or was it in person? It was over Zoom and I kind of got oh, screwed over as everything is. Yeah. And I kind of got screwed over that day because the night before my building manager warned people in my area of the building that there was going to be loud construction that morning. So they gave me like, you know, like 12, 14 hours notice. And I was like, oh my God, uh, can you please not? Because I have a really important interview. I don't know if interview with Billy Talent for the cover of Exclaim means anything to you, but <laughs> I didn't say that. But so I ended up, they ended up helping me out because they couldn't reschedule the construction, but they did put me in the fire office of the building in the lobby. So I was in the lobby in this freezing cold room with like 20 foot ceilings surrounded by like Wemyss safety precautions and fire extinguishers and stuff. And it's where the, the firefighters come to do their fire tests. Or if, you know, if there is a fire in the building, that's where all the you know kind of fire resources are. So I was sitting there doing my interview. And I said at the beginning, I was like, hey guys, here's the deal. Here's why, if, if you're wondering why I'm in this weird looking room that doesn't look like a home or an office, this is why. Was it hard trying to interview the whole band? I interviewed two of them, so that's fine. And it was over Zoom. And they and and so it's it's easy to know who's who. I have interviewed bands as a whole before in person or over calls, and it is challenging for sure, especially when people have similar voices and you want to take a quote and you don't, and you're like, uh, who said that? Because all you have is a recording. Um, so that's challenging, and especially too because those interviews just take longer too because there's you know more, and sometimes that's good. And sometimes you just kind of circle, everyone's kind of saying the same thing over and over again. And so if you've got a group of four or five people, I don't usually recommend that. Sometimes, sometimes that's good. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to go out there and say like, Hey bands, choose one leader and that can be the star and they can speak for all of you. No, but it, it is challenging. It does have its challenges and they're perfectly surmountable, but it is a little annoying. For your feature, Billy Talent are more relevant than ever. How did you make creative decisions? For example, how did you decide I'm going to talk about their music for this amount and then their story for this amount? Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the structure of the piece. I mean, that that's, you know, as I was saying before, sometimes your narrative changes halfway through and that's kind of what happened to me. That is what happened to me with this piece particularly. And I was kind of, I was actually sitting there working on it and writing. I didn't start at the beginning with this one. I didn't, I didn't have my lead yet. And I don't even think I had my nut graph, my, you know, the thesis, or I think I, I think I had that. I think I had, I ha yeah, I had a thesis in mind, but I was writing a different section that I had better grasp on. 
so far. And then as I was going along, you know, something about it struck me and it was, you know, that just that increasing social consciousness and how much we talked about that in the interview. And, and I sit there and I, I just kind of stepped back from my chair and I looked at my partner who was like watching a movie or whatever. It was like a Saturday night. And and I was like, I think I want to change the entire premise of my article halfway through writing it. And she said, oh, okay, uh, well, what is, uh, you know, and we got to talk it through. And the more I talked about it, the more I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And the only reason I'm really uh, of two minds about it is because I don't, it means that I would have to do a whole lot more work and rewriting things, but I ended up doing that. And I ended up doing the work and I'm happy that I did it because it made the rest of the piece easier to write than it would have been otherwise. You know, I initially kind of my focus was on what I had mentioned about their their sound being so solidified at this point of 20 years of their career that they can go out branching in all these different directions and it still sounds like them and that that comes with time, that comes with putting in the hours, putting in the years and cultivating a fan base that's trusting, et cetera, et cetera. And that ended up being a part of the article but it was, you know, that was kind of the main thesis. And I didn't really have, I don't think had enough. I don't think I had 2000 words on that premise, but I had like 3000 words, what ended up being the premise. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did end up changing it halfway through and I'm glad I did. How much do you get to decide over the piece versus the editor? In this case, I just did it. We, we hadn't discussed you know, my editors and I hadn't discussed what the angle of the piece was going to be. I think they had, we've worked together a lot. They had trust in me that, you know, whatever I thought was the, you know, the main premise, the main angle of the interview that I had with them was going to be good. And obviously once I submit the piece, you know, it goes through a few layers of edits, obviously, but you no, know, there, there wasn't a discussion ahead of time or when I was deciding to change my mind over what the direction of the piece was going to be, that, that would be different in other situations, particularly if I'm working with an editor that I haven't worked with before, or that we haven't worked together for years already. So that, you know, that would be different. There would probably be more discussion. It's like this, here's what we're looking to write about. Here's the angle we're hoping to take. And if I got through an interview and, and said, you know, I actually think this angle might be better. I would clear that with them and, or at least let them know and say, Hey, I'm thinking of changing the angle because I think this would be better. And then they say, sure. Or they say, no, let's stick to the previous case that hasn't come up, but that's what I would do in that situation. You know, just keep it, you know, so everyone has their expectations, but there were really no expectations in this case. So I didn't have to update them on their expectations. I guess just to end, I wanted to ask which bands slash genres do you like to listen to? Yeah, I mean, I know it's a cliche to say like, oh, I listen to everything, but I, you know, I, I, not everything. No one listens to everything. But, you know, at the end of the year, when I look at my favorite albums of the year, it would be pretty focused on rock and punk and those surrounding genres, metal. You know, there's, I look at the list and there's usually a couple of hip hop albums, some metal, which I guess is under the rock umbrella anyway folk country um you know the other stuff kind of in the indie sphere there'll be some pop that i really like and you know you just got all over the place jazz uh, especially in you know working my day job for the last few years i've gotten more and more into jazz so you know all over the place i have my focus i have my specialty especially in writing you know i can appreciate a country album or a few but would i pitch a, a story about willie nelson no because <laughs> I am not, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself qualified at all to write about Willie Nelson, at least without spending a ton, a ton of time getting to know a career of like 
50 or 60 years or however long he's been around. But, it, you know, in, in short, all over the place. But obviously, everyone's got their focus. Okay. Yeah. That's just about all the questions I had. I really appreciate you taking the time to this. Yeah, no problem. Fun. And that's the end of the third episode of our season. Pull Quotes is published by the Review of Journalism X University. Our show hosts are Gabe Oatley and Rahav Farawi, with guest podcast producer me, Annika Foreman, and Andrew Oliphant. Technical and audio support is provided by Angela Glover and web support by Lindsay Hanna. Our executive producer is Sonia Fata, and the music is by Harrison Ammer. Join us in about 10 days for the next episode.